HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network since 2009. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. I'm Allison Kane, and welcome to In the Sauce, a podcast about building consumer brands from the ground up. I love doing this show because I get to interview everyone from production gurus to marketing and social media mavens, anyone who can guide me on this crazy journey. This is the story of building Haven's Kitchen sauces, but it's also the story of every growing brand because we're all in the sauce. Today, I'm speaking with Marissa Honer, CEO and founder of Good Time Creative, the agency best known for designing and fabricating trade show exhibits, experiential installations, influencer kits, and custom merchandise for brands like Chomps, Belgian Boys, Culture Pop, Ulta, Gatsby, Celsius, and Imperfect Foods. I had to like cut the list because there were so many, and and then I had to like decide which ones I wanted because there were so many good ones. Um, Welcome, Marissa. (laughs) Thank you. Happy to be here. Yay. I'm so happy. I was just talking to Matt in the office about how excited I was to have you on Um, because I really love it when there are people that are working with the CPG brands to sort of, A, give us the state of the state, B, really help us figure out how best to work with agencies because it can be fraught at times. Um, and I think the really, the the best agencies that I've worked with are the ones that, you know, I'll go to and I'll be like, I want an amazing Expo West booth. Mm -hmm. And then they're like, what does that mean? You know? And then you really get into it and that's what you're really, really good at. So let's start with the first part, like lens into the industry, changes you've seen over the past few years. Obviously everyone's nervous about spend. Mm-hmm. That is no surprise. But what are some of the trends you're seeing? Maybe both, you know, struggling trends, but also like opportunity trends that that you're sort of like picking up on right now. Absolutely. Well, it's it's a very interesting space to be in. Um, we work with a lot of emerging brands, and we are 
an emerging brand in our own right, um, having launched in January of 2021 when no live events were happening. It's very interesting. Um, so 2022 was kind of the first year where things were starting to come back. Brands were engaging in in live events and trade shows in a, a larger way. And um, uh, 2023 was really the first year where we saw this like full resurgence back to the exhibit um, and trade show space. So it's been interesting over the past year because this has been the first year that we've really seen a, a, a large investment in making those updates to the booth. Whereas 2022, people were kind of sticking with what they had either a prior to COVID or, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they were just running in the back of the warehouse like, what did we use prior to COVID? Right. Um, so, so that was interesting. I think the next year we'll kind of see... Um, I think a little bit more hesitation on either doing a, a full blown out brand new booth mm -hmm. um, or maybe people will just kind of engage a bit more in the in the sponsorship opportunities available through the show and have a smaller booth on the show floor. So, um, yeah, it's 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 I think the experiential side and the pop up side is is really where we see a lot of brands going. Um and brands being more picky about the the events that they want to participate in um, instead of just. Yeah, it's interesting because it, as you're saying that, so the other day, I don't know if you, um, I think it's Leah Haberman and she has like a newsletter and she wrote something about, you know, shift in marketing dollars away from social media back to experiential. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's never, it's never like I have a hundred dollars. I'm going to take all of it now and move it off of Instagram ads into content creators. And then I'm going to take a hundred of it and I'm going to move it back into having a pop-up. But you can sort of feel these like shifts and these waves. Yeah. And Maddie actually on our team commented, you know, there's something in the air where people want something that feels real. They yes. want something tangible. They want to feel it. They want to experience it. Um, and Leah ended up sort of like putting Maddie's thing in her newsletter because she, you know, so there was a little excitement over on yeah. our team. But as you're saying that there is this, um, things, things just, you know, I always think of like, they fall apart and they come back together and they wax and they wane. And there's something like, I think we had a lot of digital, um, overload maybe mm -hmm. and, so many different places to live digitally. And now even I'm sort of starting to think about a brick and mortar again. And what would I want a pop-up if we did one to feel like? And, and so that experiential piece, like what are some of the things that you're seeing that aren't necessarily like a three month lease on a, <laughs> on a space in Soho, you know, like yeah. how are people giving that, that energy without crazy spend. Yep. Yeah. And, and I, I think brands can, can do that in a couple of different ways. And especially when people were not able to meet in person and create an experience on a show floor, you know, we were creating experiences through the influencer kits and through unboxing experiences. So that's definitely a great way to create an experience. Um, as, along with, Outdoor pop-ups, you know, those are a great way to just spend a weekend um, popping up in 
um, a city that you're targeting and, um, you know, maybe popping up in New York City instead of having uh, investing mm-hmm. in a brick and mortar for three months or for a year, you know, you can just go you into the kind park. of test it out. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Branded yeah. vehicles. That's a great way. Mm-hmm. You know, anything that's mobile that can your brand can travel and be seen on the road, but also have this like little pop-up experience in a park is a yeah. great way to, to reach a market. So going back to the trade shows, cause we are definitely going to get to the kits and the boxes and the whole thing. Um, I'll just, I feel like the, the chomps jerky woman in the box is like <laughs> burned in my brain. Um, I loved, I mean, it was a box, it was like a booth shaped like a meat stick box, essentially, right? But she wasn't, she was like outside. I don't know, that really stuck with me. Um, You know, they also have this like killer D2C sort of, again, it's on your website. If people go, they can see this work. It's beautiful. The chomp stuff is really killer. Thank Um, you. I'm curious about that first conversation, like, hi, Marissa, we're chomps. We want to do X, Y, Z. Like, what does that conversation look like with a brand? What are the things that you're trying to uncover? Because it's very left brain, right brain, right? Mm -hmm. If you, if it's all creative, it's completely impractical and it doesn't really make any sense. But if it's too sort of, you know, if it's, then it's boring. Yep. So how do you kind of get it to be that like right down the middle? What are the conversations? What's the first conversation? And then like, what is it? What does a process look like, I guess, with a brand? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, thank you for the complimentary yeah, words. On awesome the work. stuff. Thank you. Um, yeah, I think something that, um, I really find to be an important part of the creative development process is to understand who you're working with and understand the brand. I think that there's a difference between being familiar with a brand and trying their product and then like really diving in and working with their team. Um, And once we take that step, that's where we really unfold. Okay. This is not just the overarching idea that they may have, or maybe they just have an inspiration photo of something that they liked and replicating that. But how do we figure out not just what you want it to look like and what you want it to feel like, but also how does that space or that experience need to function so that your team can work efficiently within that activation, but also reach the goals of what whatever they're trying to achieve with their audience. Um, because I think so many times, to your point, people just think about the visual. This is how we want it to look like. And if you're just driving off of creative, then you're not going to ultimately get out of that activation what your brand needs to keep pushing its, its, uh, its product and its, its mission forward. So, um, we spend a lot of time in that exploration phase of working, um, with that brand to pull together inspiration decks and concepts. I mean, we usually start off with like five different floor plans and concepts and spend a couple of weeks going through making revisions, making edits until we're down to that, that, hero concept that they're ready to move forward with. Um, and we, I think that that's very important, to, not just for us to be able to hit the brief, but also to create that trusting relationship with the client and to understand them and their needs and what they're looking for. Um, and we do that at, at no cost because it's only a benefit to both of us. Right. right? So it's like the pre-work. Yeah. What, 
Have you ever had a client come to you with no with no creative plan? And I mean, do you what do you do you like it more when they are really honed into what they want or when they're a little bit more like, I don't know, like what do you think? Yeah, it's it it varies. A lot mm-hmm. of I would say less brands come to us with a very clear vision of what they want. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that even if they do have a vision of what they want, they kind of want you, you to, to take, yeah. yeah to, and that's always, that's my preferred way to work with somebody. Um, just because we like to have that freedom to, to be creative. I mean, that's mm-hmm. why you're going to a creative agency, right? right? So, um, but there are definitely some brands who are like, hey, we have X amount of dollars. We're going to this event. Our goal is to promote this one product. Mm-hmm. Um, how can we do that? And and it's really, it can be difficult, especially if you don't have history with that client. Mm-hmm. But going through that exploration or like dating phase, you kind of right. understand what they're looking for a little bit more. Have you ever had a client where you're like, I don't know, where like the essence of what they think they are is different from the essence of what they are. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me, what's that like? <laughs> uh, it's, I think with the experiential craze, right? Like everybody's trying to do something different and mm-hmm. new and they want to do something bigger and better and, and um, completely stand out from the rest. But I think that you have to approach experiential in a way that also feels true to your brand, right? especially for emerging brands. Um, we have some emerging brands who come to us and it's their first year at Expo West and they've never exhibited before, but and they want this fully thematic designed mm-hmm. booth. And the concern there is that that attendee could walk away and have no idea who your brand is, but mm-hmm. thought it was a really cool booth. Right. Maybe took a picture of it. Um, so it either. Ugh, that's it, like painful yeah. to think about. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you kind of have to always remember that we want to make sure that, yes, the attendee has a great experience, that it's an attention grabbing um, booth and design and it's memorable and people want to come in and engage with your, your team, but they, the goal is that they, they know who you're, the you brand. are as a brand. Right. Yeah. When they're leaving. So, so you started talking a little bit about it. Like you said, you know, there's this sort of like pre it's, I don't know if you watch this show on Netflix, but I watched the show called the French like agency. It's a real estate show. It's about this like family agency in Paris. <laughs> they have like the most amazing apartments. And now they're showing like things on the Riviera and whatnot. And like in, Sweden. But, um, and it's got subtitles and it's just great. If you like looking at like pretty places in Europe, I mean, I don't know who doesn't, but yeah. yeah. (laughs) And it's a family. So there's like dynamics and whatnot. But last night I was watching and one of the agents, like this family came and they wanted this house in like Cannes or something. And he took them on a site tour and it was like this very traditional house and they were like, actually, we really don't like anything traditional. We want something really modern. And I sort of leaned over to like my fiance. I'm like, 
could have asked that before he showed them the first house. Like now they're scrambling to find a modern house and it's all for like television drama. So I'm sure that they did actually have that conversation. But when you were talking about like getting it right before you dig in, that's the purpose of getting, I mean, it's like just a waste of time if you don't ask these questions and then you come to the brand and you're like, Hey, let's do a donut. And they're like, actually we'd prefer a cupcake. Yeah. Yeah. So what does that process look like? Like, you know, we'll talk a little bit about us because while we're not necessarily doing the experiential, we are thinking about a D to C sort of thing with our new product line, et cetera. We'll talk about that later, but you know, hi, Marissa, I'm Allie. Here's my brand. We want to do a big booth. And you're like, great, let's get on a call. So then what happens? Yep. And, and I guess as you're talking about it, really tell me and us what we can do better on the brand side to help the agency work better with us. Because ultimately it is in everyone's best interest if we know how to be, you know, make that process. Absolutely. Better. Yep. Yeah. So I think, um, there's a couple of things. Having a brief on on your end prior to coming into that call is always very helpful. Um, (laughs) Well, understanding the space size. So that's obviously first and foremost, that's very important. Um, And also what is the main goal within that space for you as a brand? Are you showcasing um, a a space that has a beautiful branding. You want people to get to know if you're doing like a, a brand relaunch, you want it to be graphic heavy. Um, are we displaying product? Um, are we sampling product? If we're sampling product, how much, you know, creating the space to be able to store that product and, and, and be able to prep it and to sample it. Um, thinking about how the booth needs to function for your team drives the components, which ultimately gra- drives the, the design and the layout of the space. Um, so I think a lot of brands, they, they think surface level of, you know, this is the event that we're going to, I saw this one booth. I really liked the look of it. They had a great use of color. Um, but before we even dive into artwork and graphics, which is usually what people initially jump to, yes, we have to talk about the components and how that space is functioning for your team. So that's very important. So it's really like function before form. Yes. And then form can really build off of function. Yep, absolutely. And then when do you get to the fun part? <laughs> <laughs> I actually love that exploration. I'm like, this is really <laughs> boring. I like, we need refrigeration and that's pain yeah, in the ass. Yeah. And yeah. Ugh. like, I'm thinking, of course, Chomps is awesome because they're like, we don't really have much needs. Like we bring boxes of meat sticks and it's fine. You know? Well, yeah. Yeah. The food and Bev side is mm-hmm. completely different. And then beauty. And- Yes, then beauty. Um, beauty's electric heavy. You know, there's just, we got to take into account how many 20 amps we need in that booth. Right. Food is just, there's so much more behind it. And especially mm-hmm. when we start getting into refrigerated and frozen food. Mm-hmm. And for emerging brands within that space, they're like, what do you mean I have to 
pay for daily refrigerated storage and pay the material handling fee on all of that product and the deliveries. So there's so much more on the back end and the services side that can eat up a budget too very quickly. So by the time you get through that, you're like left with this little pot for design. Um, and we like to think that we work very scrappy to still work on, you know, those smaller budgets and make it look still beautiful. But um, the exhibit world is very, very expensive. Um, and, and so when we talk budgets, that's, that's a very hard kind of sticking point for a lot of brands. But um, having a budget before even getting into the exploration phase is so important. We'll sadness yeah. later. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then when you do get into the fun stuff. Yeah. So they're like, we like this booth. We like that booth. Then you have to sort of like narrow down like why they liked the booths. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then what? Yeah. So we, when we start talking about that exploration phase with the floor plans and the layouts, it does sound very boring, but we also put these, we like to use a lot of inspiration uh, photos. So we'll pull, mm-hmm. you know, maybe it's not an exact design of what that, what your booth is going to look like, but we'll pull reference images and photos. And I really enjoy that process mm-hmm. because that's really a, a fun um, process to go through with our team, but also with the brand. Um, and then we can understand from that. Um, okay, maybe they're not as into like the full themed, right. you know, we want to create this like wacky pancake factory, or yeah. if they really just want to incorporate experiential and memorable moments within the space, but really have it be brand and product mm-hmm. heavy. Um, so once we get that through that first phase, then we get into the actual building out those spaces and and getting into the custom fabrication where we're actually building, we're in the we're in the shop, we're bringing those concepts to life, um, and printing and laying out the beautiful imagery and graphics that are going to go on those on those components. So and then, the do you part. help with setup and everything too? Yep. So then we we do all of the orders. So when we talk about that frozen refrigerated storage, Mm -hmm. working with the union electricians, um, the labor, everything. Yep. That's exhausting. Even just thinking about it. (laughs) Okay. So I want to head over now a little bit to the D2C shippers and the surprise and delay packages. And I want to see if you agree a little bit with my, with my thesis. My thesis is that D2C has gotten super de-duper expensive, that I think a lot of brands are thinking Amazon is probably a better, you know, awareness, SEO, more people are shopping there. Not everyone for sure, but like they're, I mean, not for us, refrigerated for sure, but And so the purpose and the why and the who and the how of that direct channel needs to be along the lines of something really community building, something really exclusive, something really special, higher, you know, order value, fewer orders probably Mm. would be my guess, but Mm. something that is special in some way. Um, which is fun because it means that you don't have to worry as much about, you know, at least for us, we're thinking next year, you know, we have this new product 
I, I keep saying it's like a secret, but I think at this point it's not <laughs> so much of a secret, but I won't go into what it is, but it is shelf stable. Um, you know, we're really thinking like maybe we'll send out 250, maybe, maybe, you know, is that how you're, I mean, there, does that track mm-hmm. with you a little bit? And if so, it kind of is going back to the original sort of surprise and delight idea of mm-hmm. D2C as opposed to the now we're our own retail store. Right. D2C. Yep. Yeah. No, I think you're spot on with that. And even what Maddie, what you referenced Maddie saying earlier is that's how I like to approach a lot of our designs is creating something that feels real, feels authentic, because ultimately people are not going to make a connection with a human if a real connection, let's say, if that doesn't feel real and authentic to them. So why would they connect with a product or a brand if it doesn't feel special or real or authentic? So I think that people are craving that real connection and they want to invest in and and buy products from um, brands that they they feel are authentic and um, have their own personality that they can relate to and enjoy being around. Um, So those unboxing experiences and the influencer kits, 250 to 500 is usually the quantity that we see brands um, engaging in those those projects with because it feels um, there's a little bit less risk on the brand side. So, you know, the investment makes sense. Um, But it also, for the recipient, feels special. It feels exclusive, which just further enhances that feeling of, ooh, I'm in on this, like, little secret. um, Or I have this connection with this brand that's, you know, very unique to just me. And they don't need to know 199 other people. But, you know, they they don't see it blasted everywhere. Yeah. with everyone. Yep. No, I mean, it's interesting. Cause even like talking about just like on the labor side, you know, we can put together 200 kits. I think you put together kits, mm-hmm. right? Like yep. you don't need your three PL gathering things and doing a whole thing. And right. I mean, right. so it is, it is a little bit more personal, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and it feels it throughout. What are some things that you're seeing I mean, again, you had some really cool ones and Chomps had a cool one. Um, but what are some, are you, I guess, are you seeing any new concepts or risks that you've taken that have paid off or just, you know, anything kind of come back into the zeitgeist that you're happy about? Yeah. I. Um, well, absolutely. Yes. I think that the the sponsorship kind of like more standard box, I would say that Mm -hmm. people could just use for sampling or they could throw their product uh, marketing collateral in there and get it to buyers during COVID. That was a really good way or during the pandemic to, to, you know, reach those buyers, but that experiential element of what's used in the activations and on the trade show floors 
kind of translating into those influencer kits where, you know, maybe we're not putting a tote inside of the box because everyone <laughs> has, has totes, tote. right? Uh, <laughs> but maybe it's... Uh, but we just made a really pretty tote. Well, I was going to say totes <laughs> are kind of like one of those things that we're telling people, maybe think about something different as right. a giveaway for the trade show floor, even yes. in an influencer kit. But if it's a tote that's of a different fabric mm-hmm. or a different style, you know, the quality might be a little bit higher and you're, mm-hmm. or, you're ordering 500 versus 1,000, again, mm-hmm. making it feel a little bit more special, um, then I think it lands. But right. um, creating kind of a theme, I know you referenced Chomps. We did like a pizza influencer or uh, pepperoni turkey was a new flavor that they were launching. So mm. we kind of dove into pepperoni. We're like, pepperoni pizza, let's, you know, throw in a, a branded pizza cutter and mm-hmm. a little basil packet and do this social challenge of post your pizza recipe. And mm-hmm. so I think those those do really well versus just being so product focused mm-hmm. in those kits. So um, that's, of course, important, but including like a little challenge or some type of physical do people, do people engage in those? Like, are they, do, do people like the participatory? Yeah, that yeah. one, that one did very well um, because it actually had a recipe card, a call to action, post this, use this hashtag. Cool. So I, I think also thinking about the pre and post uh, right. plan for any So it doesn't just, so right. Yes. No, that's such a good point too. It's like, okay, they get this thing and then there's got to be a call to action of some sort. Right. Because otherwise it looks great. You may have gotten a new buyer from it, but it's just sitting on their kitchen counter now. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about maybe Expo West. Maybe. We'll see. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City, Long Island, and Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. I'm back with Marissa Honer, CEO and founder of Good Time Creative. Okay, so we talked about booth building at the beginning, talked about function and form. Some of us are starting to think about it. Um, Again, like you're, I think you're spot on too. Like, I don't, I mean... From what it sounds like, 2024 is sold out. I am guessing some people are going to drop out of that, but we'll see. I mean, last year was pretty packed. Um, What are some of the best practices you've seen for a team planning Expo West? I mean, this is going to be airing in October. That doesn't feel early. 
to me to start planning at all. Mm -hmm. Um, What are some of the fails um, that we can avoid, both from like a team resources, creative, planning, everything? You know, you've been doing this, you've seen it. And um, I'm curious, just, you know, an Expo West 101 would be really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Expo West is kind of its own unique beast and we approach it very differently than any of our other events internally from a planning perspective. So I would say to the brand, planning and timing is key. Um, Because when you think about the timing of Expo West, it's early March. Our regular production timelines are about three months. So we love to work with brands three months in advance of any event. Expo West, we start planning six months in advance. Okay, so we're late. (laughs) (laughs) We're not going, but if you're listening to this and you have a booth and you have not started, call Marissa right now. (laughs) Yes, we we started putting our production timelines together and reaching out to our clients um, in early August, Mm -hmm. um, late July. So there's the timing of the event. You have the holiday, you have, you know, January in there. So people Mm -hmm. are just kind of getting back into the groove of things from the holidays. Mm -hmm. And then you're straight into, and into Expo West planning. So I would say as much as you can do, um, before the new year, before the new year is Mm -hmm. great because nobody likes to feel rushed, especially when you're doing something creative. Mm -hmm. Uh, Creativity takes a lot of uh, resource and time and you don't want to feel like you've invested all of this money in buying just even the concrete space on the show floor. Mm -hmm. And now you're rushing to pull together the representation of your brand that's going to be seen by thousands and thousands of people that you're rushing within three weeks to do that. I mean, it's just, it never feels good. So I would say as much as you can do before the new year is, is great. Um, also having that pre marketing plan going into the event of, okay, this is not just, you know, the team members and what we're going to be wearing inside of the inside of the booth, but are there sponsorship opportunities outside of the show floor? Mm -hmm. Um, you referenced the Chomps uh, product mm-hmm. box that was their activation sampling area that they had outside of the North Hall um, to further reach uh, more. I mean, I don't even remember their booth in the hall. Yeah. It, see? I mean, it's, yeah, it's, I mean, I'm sure it was amazing, but you know, I really remember that. Yeah. That's a really good point. Yeah, because mm-hmm. the floor, the trade show halls are where it's going to be most concentrated mm-hmm. and you're fighting against seas of people. So if you can have some brand representation outside of the, the show floor mm-hmm. and be able to sample and give away branded giveaways, mm-hmm. I mean, even even hosting like um, a happy hour at a mm-hmm. nearby um, bar, restaurant, um, doing anything like that is, is a Separating great Separating you from the pack mm-hmm. a yep. little bit. Yeah. And then is there, do you have like a, do you give your brands like a timeline? Like it's like that, you know how in like bridal magazines, they have like a year before the wedding, like choose a venue, you know, six months, get your dress or what? Do you have that? We do. Yeah. So we always target going into the advanced warehouse. So I would also say to brands, like always try to hit those. Um, advanced deadline dates because not only will they save you money with the general contractor, it's Mm -hmm. a a better rate than 
going direct to show or shipping in after that deadline. Mm. Um, It also ensures that your product and your booth are going to be at your space no matter what. When you get there, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We have uh, one of the things that I always tell, especially emerging brands, because they're always budget conscious and we completely understand that, but there are just certain things that you you want to spend on. the money on. Right. You want, yes, you want to make sure that your booth is shipped with a carrier. So what is that advanced? What is that? So like, I remember just like rolling in with like a backdrop and a, and like we mm-hmm. rented a, a bar or something. Yep. Like, obviously this was like, we were really early. Not, you would yeah. not approve, but <laughs> like, what, what, it, what is that? The advanced what? It's, it's called the Advanced Warehouse. So mm-hmm. every show has a warehouse that's nearby the expo hall that uh, brands can ship in their crated and palletized material. So if it's a, a larger structure versus what you've referenced, like mm-hmm. the pop-up back wall, which are great for your mm-hmm. team to be able to, to bring around the country and set up at, at different events where that makes sense. But maybe if a brand's investing more in like a more custom booth, that mm-hmm. would be crated or palletized. Right. And so that would deliver to the advanced warehouse um, versus going shipping direct to the show, which is usually like the day before the show opens. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's just adding stress on right. your team when you guys should just be able to have the booth set up and then focus on what actually needs to be done during those three days of the show. And like humans, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, a lot of the brands that are going, I mean, the founder goes, maybe the head of sales goes, if they have a marketing team. I mean, it can get, it can, is there, are you like, you need someone to mind the stuff. You need someone to be talking to this and you need someone to be doing that. Like, is there a, a human count or bare minimum or, yeah, you know, does it ever become too much? Yes. Yeah. I think that there's, there's this kind of like tipping point of, okay, you have a 10 by 10 space and you maybe need one person prepping the samples, Mm -hmm. engaging with, you know, people coming up to the sample counter, whatever it may be, um, talking to the product. And then maybe you have somebody else there who's representing the brand side of, okay, they're more sales focused. Mm -hmm. You know, they're talking to the buyers. They're having those conversations and meetings. Um, You don't need 10 people in the 10 by 10 because not only are you blocking all of your brand imagery, um, (laughs) right? (laughs) but you're also making it feel like, I don't know, I don't love to, if I don't feel like I can engage with somebody, if there's too many people, it's like, oh, it's a little intimidating um, as somebody walking through a a crowded floor. And then one, have you, I mean, one thing that like everyone who's going to Expo West and it's now October, I don't know, whatever, whenever this airing, if you don't have X, like that is your priority to get like ASAP. If you haven't decided X, like what is the thing that like really people need to get their act together right now? By October, you definitely, if you're not, if you don't have a booth, you need to be talking to somebody about those structures and those, um, the booth package that, and the components mm-hmm. that you want to show up with. Um, because, 
by January, the early January, you need to have a booth built. And if you think about production timelines being four to six weeks, you know, you're, you're really kind of getting down to the wire of what, uh, the time that you're going to have for that creative ideation and what do we want our imagery to look like? That's what's going to get rushed. Um, and in your experience, let's say you are a brand that has cereal and you are launching Pop-Tarts. Is it in your experience best to just focus on the Pop-Tarts or have the booth kind of divided into two areas where like you have the old and then you have the innovation? Obviously there's some sales component to it, but just from your perspective, what's worked best? Absolutely. I think that Belgian boys did a very good job, um, especially last year with their pancake cereal. So Mm -hmm. they had a really well-rounded campaign around launching that um, and supporting that through their socials in advance of getting to Expo West. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of times brands think, oh, well, we have to wait to launch it at Expo West. Mm -hmm. But if you can create some buzz and some excitement and also, you know, people will recognize that when mm-hmm. they get to your booth and they'll yeah. say, oh, I've heard about this. I want to try it. Like maybe they haven't been able to sample it yet. Now right. you're only creating yeah. further I was for that. I was with Anouk at that booth for a little while. It was gangbusters. Yes. Like they nailed it. You nailed it. Like that. Because uh, yeah. the pancake thing was like sort of this weird, like, should we try this? It's a TikTok thing. I don't know. And then all of a sudden it became like a crazy thing. And then the booth really was just like, it was like a glittery pink pancake factory. Yeah. It was amazing. (laughs) Yeah. Well, thank you. And I I think that they were smart in the way that they definitely made a big push for uh, focus on the pancake cereal. And they had a really fun, like experiential element up in the right-hand corner, an oversized mm-hmm. bowl of pancake, you know, anything mm-hmm. oversized people love. People love mm-hmm. taking pictures with that, but they still highlighted their other products within mm-hmm. their line in other areas of the booth. So right. it wasn't like we're just pancake cereal. Yes. That makes total sense. Yeah. So I was reading something you wrote. And I really liked the way that you broke it down. You were basically saying, grab attention, keep attention, engage, engage, and then give them something to remember. Yep. And that's, I think, a really good framework for brands just thinking about any of this stuff, whether it is actually experiential or even like a box, because the the first thing is going to make them excited. But then there's got to be some meat in there, like something really like juicy. And then like we were saying, either a call to action or some sort of takeaway gift, whether whatever that is. Can you give me any really good examples of, you know, activations or boxes or anything that you've done that's like a a really nice way to sort of sum those three pieces up? Yeah. Well, I I think that without a brand knowing it, anything that they put out, whether it be a post or if they're showing up at an event, they're creating an experience. So I know Mm -hmm. like experiential is overused all the Mm -hmm. time, but every touch point that a brand has is an experience, whether it's 
a successful experience mm-hmm. or not. That's mm-hmm. the difference. But I think that um, being able to create a more well-rounded experience always helps support the final output or feeling that that recipient or attendee had with the brand. And I do believe that, you know, having something that's visually beautiful to be able to walk into, feel like they want to come into that booth space and engage with that brand. To your point about how many people do we have in the booth, now your team needs to be able to support that communication and, and to take that experience to the next point. Because a lot of times, if somebody's not available, then you're just going to walk out. So I think that that's very important. So what is that conversation um, that or that that next touch point within the booth or when the person opens up the box, what happens? Um, and then that giveaway component to, to for that person to remember that experience is very important. I think that a lot of the examples that we touched on today are great examples of that. I, I love the Belgian Boys 2022 booth. Um, they had those French toast purses that in in advance of the show, we were all kind of like, even our brand contacts were like, we were all kind of laughing about these French toast purses. We're like, there's no way that people are going to like these, right? Right. Are these going to be a hit? Are people going to like these? Um, and it was, I'd be like scrubbing the floor at the end of the night and people would be coming up. Do you have any? French toast bags, I mean, they were just crazy. They flew. So something unique like that um, Mm -hmm. is really important. Um, I think that we have a couple of projects right now that are top of mind, but they haven't launched. So I'm trying to hold back of (laughs) using those as examples. Uh, um, Something close without names, anything. (laughs) I know. Well, the the Chomps carton that we Uh talked about... um, they had a different giveaway each day. So they had a different brand. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So they, they were able to get, you know, have, give somebody the sample on maybe the first day, but Mm -hmm. then they, that attendee wanted to come back and sample more. They brought their friends the next day because they knew that there was going to be a different branded merch item and people just love merch. Um, That's really fun. Yeah. Do you think that stickers and pins are overdone and worth the money? (laughs) I think that stickers, yes, you see them everywhere, but they are a very cost-effective way to have a giveaway. And they do go on people's laptops. And and they go on people's laptops. Those, I don't think, are going out of style. Um, Pins can get expensive. And um, I think people like pins, but then... They, they might put it on, on their shirt or backpack, right. and then two weeks later, they're like, I don't, I'm sick. Why do I have, like, a yeah. chili crunch pin? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, is there it, anything else that you think is, like, been there, done that, so 2022 not going to be, like, when, um, when you walk in or you get a box, when do you, are you like, mm-hmm? Yeah. I honestly, because I go to so many trade shows, Mm -hmm. I do not need any more like canvas totes, just the traditional totes. I think that those are so many brands have them too. So the, the risk of your tote just being put into another branded tote Mm -hmm. is so high. The tote, if you're going to do a bag or a tote, it has to be different. So again, like that. The Somos one 
from was last year was awesome because it was like mm-hmm. the Mac Daddy bag that you put all the other bags in. Yep. Yep. Yeah, they did a great, cool. a great job with those. Um, pouches are very in right now. So mm. fanny packs, mm-hmm. little branded pouches, um, those air fresheners, like branded car, like the retro oh callback. Oh my gosh, that's yes. funny. Anything that's like kind of a callback to the 90s or the early oh, wow. 2000s, those are definitely trendy mm-hmm. right now. Um what else is out? Yeah, pins. I love a pin, but I just think it's they can get expensive and yeah. they're heavy and um, stickers are great though. And what about design in general that is feeling a little bit overdone? I mean, again, I love pink. Belgian Boys was doing pink yep. 10 years ago. It did feel like everything was pink in this. And that was before Barbie. Yeah. Uh, so, yes. Yeah. That's very like, true. <laughs> what, um, what do you feel like is a little bit on the up and up coming and what do you think, um, people have sort of seen and maybe their eyes might glaze over it a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. I think thematic design of creating that, like, you know, looking at a booth and seeing, um, Okay, the DB's booth is looks like a bodega, but it still feels very true to the DB's brand, right? So I think thematic design that does not still speak to the brand is kind of on the right. out. Um, yeah, I, I mean, so I don't want to throw anyone under the bus, but there's a sauerkraut brand, um, and they have it. It's a home kitchen. It's very white, and it's like a very sort of like not that exciting home kitchen and they give away a wooden spoon. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's been their booth for the last however many years. What could, what, is it just the kitchen itself isn't that interesting, would you say? Or is it just like, okay, people have seen home kitchens and maybe that's sort of done. Like, yeah, you know, I know it's hard because you, I don't know if you even know who I'm talking about. I'm but, not sure, but okay. I, I think I get I think that thematic design really works when it's done well, but it can pigeonhole a brand. So Mm -hmm. as long as it's something that can be updated because you invested Mm -hmm. a lot of money in this, do you really want to show up as the white kitchen every single year? Or do we want to create something that's modular that works better for you as a brand to be able to update your imagery, maybe to incorporate different elements where people are not able to notice that, oh, this is the white kitchen. Maybe now it's a white living room. I don't know. Sauerkraut in the living room. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. But um, metallics are very much on the rise right Mm -hmm. now. So golds and like variations of different golds. I think monochrome, Mm -hmm. um, Layouts are are still very in, but incorporating different textures, so mm. uh, velvets and um, you know, little like, groovy. Yes, little yeah, little groovy. I like a little velvet. Yeah, I wonder. I don't know if it's very Haven's Kitchen, but <laughs> I'm going to write down velvet. We can make it. My pa- my notes are different giveaway every day: pouches, air fresheners, and velvet. <laughs> That's all you need to know. Basically, that's like the LinkedIn post. I wonder <laughs> if anyone will actually know what that means. Um, I had a question about sustainability. Mm. You know, like, yeah, a little challenging on the sustainability piece. I mean, forget about the shipping and whatnot, but just like the materials. Are there ways to 
make things that are reusable and that, you know, don't just kind of end up somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a question that we get asked a lot. Um, and it's, it's a challenging one because our industry is, the exhibiting industry, it's not, uh, it's hard to not be wasteful. Mm-hmm. Um, so we definitely try to take that approach with our emerging brands, knowing that that booth is also going to have to grow with them. We don't want them investing um, budget, but also like throwing that booth away every mm-hmm. couple of years. Can we create something that can be added on to or that can be relaminated and, mm-hmm. and just get like a facelift every couple of years versus mm-hmm. throwing it out and, and revamping it? Um, Europe is usually on the cutting, cutting edge. edge. Yeah. They're, they're a bit more ahead of the curve. Um, especially even when it comes to like exhibit design, we get a lot of our inspiration of what, what goes on at, at European shows, but they have a completely different, um, model of, they basically build the booth from the ground up on the show floor. Um, it's mm. a, a true construction zone and then everything they're called build and burns. They just take it down and scrap it after each event. So where they're a little bit more ahead of the curve on design and even utilizing more sustainable materials, maybe mm-hmm. like a corrugate, you know, creating these really intricate pieces of furniture out of Cor- sheets of corrugate, which mm-hmm. is really, really unique, but they throw out a lot more right. at the end of each event. Um, so there's a lot that can be, I, I think that's a miss sometimes with, with emerging brands who are working on smaller budgets too, is they, they say, well, we're, we're just going to go with, you know, the cheaper option for mm-hmm. this year, but then the following year right. they're investing in in the bigger option or the more mm-hmm. custom option. So sometimes it does make sense to make the investment, even Early. if it's more than what you thought you were going to invest, because you can you can stick with that booth and you can grow with that booth right. over three to five years versus re-upping right. every single year. Yeah. And on the boxes, like on the packaging design, are you seeing more sustainable materials for? I mean, sustainable is question number one, but also are you, are you seeing cool new sort of the box itself is surprising and delightful, right? Like, are you seeing anything kind of on the forefront of it when it comes to shipping things to people? Yeah. We, if you could do a mailer style box where it's just the box itself, it's not getting placed. Yes. Is the mailer not being placed into a secondary shipper or having bubble wrap, that's always a great way That's to... That's what we have. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. And those are great. And then your brand is also sitting on doorsteps and it's more visible, you know, yep. to, to more people than just that recipient. Um, I haven't seen I added two... that to velvet. Air okay. fresheners, velvet, and mailer style boxes. There we go. <laughs> We're going to make a velvet mailer box with air fresheners and a fanny pack. Sounds very I think it's done. Perfect. (laughs) Thank you. We don't even need to hire you at this point. It's perfect. Um, Um, It'd be funny if like a bunch of people start making velvet mailer style boxes with fanny packs and air fresheners. Yes. Love it. Okay. I think um, another way that brands could take advantage of maybe more bang for their buck on the budget side, but also mm-hmm. being a, a bit more sustainable and conscious of, of the materials they're using is creating evergreen boxes that maybe the inserts change, but the exterior stays the same. So we have a beautiful Haven's Kitchen 
corrugate mailer that the exterior stays the same, the branding mm-hmm. stays the same, but then inside, you know, might be um, a, a beautiful tote that, or a fanny pack, a velvet fanny <laughs> no pack. No more totes, a no. velvet fanny pack <laughs> a velvet is what fanny I'm going pack. with, yeah. yeah. Um, but then you have a little bit more flexibility of you can reach a, a higher, a better price break because you're right, reaching a higher boxes. quantity of the yeah. box. Um, but then you're able to use it for a year and just flip out whatever the initiative is inside of that. Mm-hmm. Okay. A couple last questions. The, I, the bare minimum that a brand, if you're gonna send out a D to C or an influencer or content creator kit, the bare minimum sort of investment, not money-wise, but just don't send something out if it's not at least blank. Um, I think the product piece Tough is, love, Marissa. Tough love. Because <laughs> you know what? You're saving people money. Like, well, tell I, us. Yeah, yeah, I think it really does come down to the pre-planning. Like, it is so painful for us to work with a brand for weeks and weeks and sometimes months and months in advance of a product launch. But then that comes down to the wire and they don't have the product available. So if you're not able to, then we have to go back to basically stage one of flipping out artwork and making this Mm -hmm. kit now work for something else within your, um, with it for the brand. So the, the product launch kits can get a little tricky and also make us a little nervous around timelines. If you're, if the product, if the, Um, Is there an ideal time? That's actually a really good question. Like, you know, we know like in retail, for example, we don't send out like a, hey, we're national at Whole Foods until at least a month after like the reset, Mm -hmm. just to give the stores time to get organized. And in case there are any voids, we can fill them, et cetera, settle in. And then we send a launch email. Is there something similar? Would you say like you know, you shouldn't be sending out content creator kits or influencer kits if you don't have, you know, something set up or like, what, yeah, yeah what would, well, what's and, the ideal? Yeah. Like, I mean, having the product available for, for distribution, especially in the areas that you're right. targeting the kit, like we've seen that happen before. And then it's, it's kind of like a pre-launch to then just wait for it to be ready. Right. Um, so I think, and obviously there's a lot of factors that affect the next thing kind of down the line, mm-hmm. um, which makes it tricky. But for us, we love to have, um, especially with refrigerator product, you can't do this, but like for dry product, we love to have product in our warehouse to mm-hmm. be able to kit the actual kits that are going out um, at least two weeks in advance from when you want um, right. the kits to start going out. So all in, we love to have six weeks for printing, production, receiving the product, receiving any of the branded merchandise, right. hitting everything, shipping it, um, so that it can, can hit your recipient doorsteps. Right. You're time. really a yeah. one-stop shop. We, we try. It's kind of amazing. <laughs> and then going back to sort of the bare minimum, don't go to Expo West, like, I'll, I'll reframe it because everyone's going to go anyway if I do it that way. Um, if you're going to go to Expo West, 
this is sort of like, you know, if you're not building out a full thing, you don't want to have like one flyer behind you. At least get like the kit that, you know, you made us, like the the one with the light behind it. Yep. We took that to a trade show yesterday. We took it to a UNFI show. Like we look grown up mm-hmm. and it isn't a crazy investment. Right. So would that be sort of your bare minimum? And what is that called? <laughs> yeah, that that would be the bare minimum. And I would say that if if you're exhibiting at Expo West, you've already invested a good amount of money into being there. Mm-hmm. So you want to make sure that you're showing up in uh, with a presence that you'd be proud to stand in front mm-hmm. of. Um, because the worst thing that we see is people spend so much money in advance to actually just get on the show floor. And then they're like, you know what, we're just going to build our own booth. It's okay. Like, and then you, you see it and you're, you you just think that's not what you, you couldn't have had that in mind. Right. So that would be the bare minimum would be like our portable line is what we call it, but it's really nice for brands who are just dipping their toe into, or just getting into exhibiting because they can install on their own, you know, you're cutting out a lot of the the back-end services of union labor right. um, on the show floor, but you can still show up with a really professional and beautifully branded uh, presence. And what's that called? So they're they're portable. So they're more like okay. standard, you know, your hop-up back walls, um, the the light box yes. uh, wall that, that we did for you guys. Um, I would say fitted tablecloths always look nicer than draped. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Um, having a light box wall, like, like what you guys have or a pillowcase wall always just looks better versus like the Velcro, you know, yes. you see some people like Velcroing uh-huh. or hang, like the little, mm-hmm. trying to hang up their, their yeah. draped fabric on the back wall. It just never yeah. looks great. So. Okay. Amazing. And then my last question is you work with a lot of brands. I'm sure there are brands that you almost work with that you don't end up working with. This is your opportunity to talk to founders and operators and marketing teams about what you wish they would all know about working with a creative agency. What do you want them to know? What what do you wish you could just say in meetings that are challenging? Yes. I would <laughs> say please have a budget. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, and that it's not is good. Yes, yeah. not not in the way of please have money uh, no, available, know but what like you're willing ha- to spend on this. Yes, 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 or have like a scary number that we're just we need to stay away from because the worst thing is when we get through this creative phase and they, mm-hmm. you know, they we're under the assumption well we want to stay on the lower side of costs, but we don't have a budget and we really want X Y Z. So let's just see what it looks like, and right. then we propose it, and then we have to break hearts and mm-hmm. kind of go back to the beginning of stages, so and it's very time consuming. So we get it, like we get that people want to see everything What's all available. in of what they, but right. we also, yep need to I mean that is by by now you should have a budget yeah Yeah. especially if you've made the it's funny when you know when we had the cooking school we did a ton of private events and the first question my events director always said was like what's your budget and it was very off-putting to some people because they were like I don't know like I don't even know what it costs and Mm -hmm. and she would be like well if you're getting married, you know, 
like there is a room fee, but you know, it, it was an interesting, it kind of, cause at the beginning I was like, it's a little, it's like a little bit of a, um, challenging way to start. And yet then there were, you know, people who were like, they knew exactly what their number was. And that was the best because then we could be like, okay, we can do this or this or this or that. Um, it's a much more streamlined process, but, but, and there were less heartbroken. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. And we get that, especially with emerging brands, a lot of these brands are very new to exhibiting. They've never invested, or this might be their first big, so they have no idea. And that, yeah. yeah, so we have budget reference decks and things like that that we can share, but it is, even after seeing that, I mean, I'd say about 10% of the brands that we work with have a budget. So it's right. not, definitely not to say that we can't <laughs> make it work, but it just right. makes it so much easier and, and smoother. And, yes. Um, Amazing. That, so. Okay. Well, that's very helpful. Everyone go to Good Time Creative. I was like... <laughs> building what um call marissa get your get your stuff together um because if you are going to be spending on any of this stuff you want it to be really awesome and you want it to leave people really happy yeah i would imagine thank you so much for coming on the show this was really fun thank you thank you for having me i've been looking forward to it and liam thank you as always for engineering Um, and everyone listening, if you are going to Expo West, really make it, really make it work for you. Um, that pre-work piece is super important. I think it's not just on the like pre-work of having product and knowing who's going and having it all organized, but pre-work of like reaching out to the people that you actually want to talk to. So that's my two cents. And I'll be back next week with another episode of In the Sauce. In the Sauce is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.